0: Part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you open your Bibles to Psalms, Psalms 1, we're going to be looking at uh, the first Psalms today. And uh, again, we're not going to go through all 150. It would, uh, that'd be profitable to do, but uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of. S- Travel through those, and I hope that you, uh, if you have a favorite psalm, you can tell me what that is, and then we can look at maybe adding that to the preaching schedule, but have you ever been in a place in a dilemma of your life that you couldn't remember specific scripture, you couldn't remember this, that, and the other, but all of a sudden something like Psalm 23 came to your mind, and I mean, you just feel the weight of the world, and there's just trouble, there's chaos, and there's just disorder all around you, And you couldn't remember a lot of the details and you couldn't just start quoting scripture, but you said, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And maybe you knew the rest of it and you began to, you know, just kind of do that almost out of a rote memory of somewhere in your past where you'd been instructed to do that. And all of a sudden there's a calmness and a peace that comes over you. Well, that's really what the Psalms are. They were, it was in, in, in a way, a hymnal. 150 different Psalms. And yet the first one kind of describes the other 149. If you want to say it in, in the ways that, that we would describe it today, Psalms 1 is really a preface to the other 149. But they're songs, they're poetry. And I will not sing them. Uh, I will let Ricky maybe sing you know, some of those during the, the time. But you know, we read them today, and yet there's something about the comfort that they bring, even when we just read the truth of God's Word. But I imagine that over these eons of time, that they have just brought tremendous comfort, especially when they were done musically, uh, the ones that were songs, that the people, when they would sing them, because there's something about music. In fact, I told Ricky before, I said, you know, every pastor secretly has kind of, this, kind of this grudge against worship pastors and that we can preach for 35, 40 minutes and people go, okay, that's good. And then we can close with a song. And if that song just happens to strike where your heart is that day, you forget the sermon, you forget this, that, and then you're going, man, I just did that worship. That song just touched my very soul. Not just your brain, not just your heart, but your soul. There's something powerful about music. God knows that. We didn't come up with that. Adam and Eve didn't say, you know, why don't we invite, like, you know, kind of invent notes and, and make songs. Now, he put that into our heart, and he knows, in the chemistry and the DNA and the, the figuring of our minds, That music really has a power. And even scientists have discovered that. Dementia patients that really do not remember son, daughter, husband, wife, you start singing Amazing Grace, if they have that in their background, all of a sudden they cannot even identify those family members that are closest to them and they'll start singing along Amazing Grace or another song, Old Rugged Cross, whatever it might be that was a part of their upbringing. Guys, there is a power in music that is phenomenal. And Psalms, this, this whole book of Psalms, is a collection of 150 different poetic works, songs, uh, from everybody, uh, written over a thousand year period, from everywhere, from Moses. Did you know that there's some, two Psalms that are attributed to, to Moses? David is probably the most familiar. We know that David did a lot. We see this Asaph, you know, we see some other people, and we're going, okay, who is this, or what is that? Uh, probably about seven, eight, nine different writers altogether. We're, we're not exactly sure, but Solomon has a couple of Psalms. And so in this, we see the power of music. And in fact, uh, that power, I'm going to demonstrate that to you a little bit today and kind of see your, your background. I'm going to read some lyrics to some old songs, and if you know the rest of it, when I get to that part, when I stay silent, If you know the rest of it, you just kind of say it, shout it, sing it out, okay? I I picked really spiritual songs, too, because I know that y'all are a very spiritual, deeply theological church. And so, um, first one. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. My whole thought of you, just, you know, man. I mean, how many of y'all were not even alive, you know, during that time? And yet, you can complete that. Isn't that amazing what music does? That Just the power of music, okay? Uh, very short. It's been a hard day's night, and been working like a dog's old Beatles song. Yeah, Miss Lorraine. We need to talk afterwards, okay? Okay, okay. Love me tender, love me true, all my dreams fulfill. For my darling, I love you. And I always love you. There you go. Yeah. Don't even have to be a big Elvis fan, but all of a sudden, you know, just in your brain, somewhere in there is the finish of some of these that you know is so familiar. Two more. Two more. We're getting more spiritual as we go along. I hope you notice that. Well, East Coast girls are hip. I really dig the styles they wear. And the Southern girls, with the way they. Oh, you actually mess up. Talk, talk. They. There you go. Who knew that? Who was it? Brandon, yes. yes. And so you picked a Southern girl, right? Yeah, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, this is going back. Several people have done this. Michael Jackson did this. Several other artists did this. I've got sunshine on a cloudy day when it's. The month of May, there you go. See, in there, whether you heard it one time, five times, ten times, a hundred times, you know, you've heard these songs, you just kind of hum along. Have you ever just been sitting in the car and all of a sudden, you know, the foot is tapping and you're kind of singing and all of a sudden you wonder what the people beside you, you know, are thinking because the song is just there and it kind of has to get out. That's the power of music. Yeah, that's the power of music. It really is. God knows that. You didn't come up with that on your own. You didn't one day decide that music was going to be a powerful part of your life. God has given us an ability to kind of really be ministered to down in our very soul by music. And I truly believe that there will be music in heaven. I believe that part of our our proclamation of his worth and our worship of him will be done in song. I believe that if you hear... The the angels now, as they're just proclaiming that he is holy, holy, holy. There's kind of a a melody probably that goes with it. There's just a beauty that goes with that. Folks, that's what the Psalms are. They're songs because they're poetic works that that bring power. There there were songs that they would sing as they were going into war. There were times that they would have uh, times of discouragement. There's times that they need to be reminded of just foundational truths. I've done over 500 funerals in the last 35 years, and I do not believe that there's a single one that I've ever done that did not have Psalm 23. And when it's amazing, guys. here at a time of loss in somebody's life, and you can only imagine how the feelings are just on edge, every emotion that you can ever comprehend. And yet when I start reading Psalm 23, there's a collective gathering of, of minds and hearts It's just an amazing thing. It's the power of music. It's the power of that melody, and it's the power of the truth. And so for the next several weeks as we go through different Psalms, Psalms 100, Psalms 121, Psalm 77, I mean, some of these are are really brutal in the sense that they're not talking about, hey, this was just a great day, and we just want to say thank you, Lord. In the Psalms, they're dealing with real-life problems and and dilemmas. They're really getting down to, I, I mean... God, will you ever hear my prayer again? God, will you ever turn your face to me again? And that song's kind of a discouraging song until you get to the end of it. And then you get the truth. But these are real life songs that that will minister. I I pray will minister to us in, in the days to come. We're going to look at this first one. It's very important because it kind of sets the stage for the other ones. Again, it's what we would call today a preface. It's what uh, would be, okay, this is what the rest of this book is about. In one way, this is the, the hymnal that we have in the Bible of this collection of songs. And uh, I want to read through Psalms 1. I'm going to read it in its entirety, all six verses. You can follow along either on the screen or in your own Bible there. And I want you to kind of just think back and, or think collectively there uh, of these verses and, and the power of what is being said. Psalms one. one. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You read those six verses, and one of the things that you see is what a lot of Old Testament writers did. They they paint contrast. The kind of one agenda and, and, and one other side of the agenda are the ledger. Uh, here's the facts about this, and here's the facts here. And he uses two words that in this day and time of super sensitivity that we can really get offended with. He he talks about the blessed man, and then he talks about this other group that he calls the wicked. Now, I don't know about you, but in this day and time of supersensitivity, I don't know that too many of us, even if we really were kind of opposing somebody, would just go up and say, you know, you're wicked, or I just think that that's a wicked person. You know, this seems like to be a very, very heavy word, especially with supersensitivity in our culture. And yet the Bible says, okay, I just want to tell you the truth about these things. You know, people that have trusted God, and he calls those people blessed. Not because of their own works, because they are just really good people, but because they're in Christ. And he calls these other people without Christ in this circumstance, he calls them wicked. Now, can you do that anywhere else? You do that in your workplace. You do that anywhere else. And people really get offended, and yet the Bible does this, and Jesus did it. Now, did they do it because they were just really mad, and they were just kind of hateful people, and they liked hurt feelings? No. They're trying to portray a truth. Christ is the most compassionate person who ever walked this earth, and yet, what did he say? Hey, there's two paths, guys. There's a wide path, and there's a narrow path. Very few are going to choose this. Was he saying that to be mean an elitist? Was he trying to say, okay, only the very, very best can do this very known path? he said, man, if you follow after me, only a few are going to follow. And it's that cold, hard reality of life that he wanted to make sure that everybody knew. We see that even in this, that first Psalm, where the Bible is just pointing out there before that there are those that are going to be in Christ and those are the people that are not going to be in Christ. They're, they're without Christ. And yet our mentality, and especially our culture, guys, please stay with me on this, wants to create, as we've said many times, this middle group. we got the good, we got the bad, and we got this middle group of not so good but not so bad. And never in the Bible do we find that, because it's never upon your righteousness or my righteousness. God didn't scour this earth and say, okay, there's the good, there's the good, there's the good, there's the good, and the rest really are not so good. No, he scours the earth and he sees that every one of us are not good, that we all result because of the fall of Adam and Eve, that we are all born in sin, and this is our very nature, that we have this nature of sin. And so in that, we're collectively all together. But then there's the opportunity of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we see this opportunity that that God, because of his great love for us, his great compassion for us, by his grace, he provides his perfect son so that we might have forgiveness of those sins and go from death to life. Do you get that? I mean, in one way, that's basic ABC theology, Christian theology. But I, I want to state that because if you don't get that, Psalms 1 is going to be very offensive to you. Why, why do you call them wicked? Why do you call them blessed? The, the blessing isn't just because that person happened to, to make one wise choice on one given day. It's because Christ is in their life. You begin to look and begin to see that some of things, these things that sound so harsh and judgmental. And yet, at the same time, we begin to see that this is not the the, the attitude of God. He is holy God, and he just wants us to know the truth. And that's why we can come to the Psalms like a Psalms 23. Let me read just one of the, the verses out of Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Familiar with that? Does it bring comfort to you? Have you, whether you did it word for word, have you quoted that in your mind, in your heart before? Going through a really hard time. And maybe it really is in in the event of losing somebody that you love deeply. And you remember, man, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, God, I know that you're with me. Please hear very, very closely, guys. I, I pray you know my heart. I pray you know my heart. This promise is only for those in Christ. This is not an exclusive club where we're going, okay, let's separate the room, the, the, haves the haves and the haves. No, it's all by grace. We did nothing to merit, but for us to ever water down the truth of God's word and try to make this gray middle, we have abandoned the gospel. We have abandoned the gospel. Your hope is not that I make you feel better, your hope is Jesus Christ. It's the only hope you have. And so at that point, please, as we go into Psalms 1, and you start reading, man, word wicked. Man, he was angry. He got out of bed on the wrong side. Now, This is a loving God who's provided grace, and will provide grace you know, to, to, to those who come to him. But I want you to know that, that these promises that we read even here, this contrast that Psalms one begins to portray, so that it opens up as a preface to the other 149 folks, it's opening up promises and comfort to those believers that would trust in Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way: it is not a, uh, it does not apply all the psalms, do not apply to all, but it's available to all. And for us to think that if you're if you not, have not trusted Christ, all of a sudden you can quote Psalm 23 and that's your promise. No, it's only your promise in Jesus Christ. Now, is that clear? I mean, is do you see my heart in that? That I'm not trying to exclude people. I, I just want you to ground that because in this culture, our culture says, okay, let's just be nice with everybody. Let's just play pretty with everybody. Let's make this gray area because you know there are some people that really aren't that bad, Pastor. That's not what the Bible says. It says that we all have a need for Christ. So when we come upon the terms, like in Psalms 1, it says, okay, here's the blessed man, here's the wicked man. It has nothing to do with, okay, you did a thousand good things and you did a thousand bad things. No, it all comes down to have you put your faith and trust for your rightness to a holy God in Jesus Christ, his one and only answer. Not your own sufficiency, not your own proficiency to be a good person, but the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone. When we get that, then all of a sudden we get to the other 149 Psalms. And that's why I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think he just said, okay, Psalms 1, let's just kind of start off with a short little number here, and then we'll go into the other 149. He sets the whole stage with this preface for the other 149 Psalms by making this contrast of life and death. Darkness and light. I mean, we see it throughout the Bible. Jesus never apologized for it. Because then, when we get to a place, Psalms 121, let me just visit another one that's very familiar to us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, he who keeps you will not slumber. Goes on to talk about he who is over Israel will never sleep or slumber. Now, is that a comfort to you? I mean, I don't know how many times in my life I needed to lift my eyes up to the hills and remember where my help comes from. But it's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I went to seminary. It's not because I tried to be, you know, uh, to do the right things. It's because when I was 12 years old, I saw my sin. God opened my eyes to my own sin, my own need. And he showed me the gift of Christ. And I trusted in that. I couldn't have told you the theology behind it. I couldn't have told you the, you know, all kinds of things. I certainly could have quoted anything from this book, guys. But in childlike faith, I said, God, if you've provided by your grace an answer to my sin so that I can be in your family, I accepted. I became a child of the living God. And guess what? that promise became mine. This isn't the haves and the have-nots in that sense. But these do not apply to all, but they are available to all. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Brian and Andy today, I want you to feel the, the, the weightiness of this. He, he contrasts two people. He, he talks about uh, this man who's not blessed. And he goes and he gets his counsel from, if you notice at first he's walking, and then he hears a whisper of advice, of, of worldly wisdom or something. So he slows down and he's standing. And then what's the next action? He goes from walking... To standing, to what? Sitting. And notice the words that he uses, a scoffer. A scoffer is somebody who's not going to believe in the word of God. He's going to scoff at the word of God. Guys, as you come and, and help shepherd this great flock of, of C.S., those are weighty words. Because God gives us from the very beginning. He says, oh, look, you know, there, there's a, the contrast of not just where we find our foundation, but there's a contrast of where we find our information to guide. And that's the hope of verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, Does that mean that every time you have a quiet time, that every time you open up the Word of God, you're going, man, that's a killer today. That was great. No, there's going to be sometimes that you're going to open up the Word of God and it is going to be like dry toast. It really is. Not because the Word is, it's because we're fallen people in a fallen world. Our, our, Our very minds and our hearts sometimes are very distant in, in that way, not in a the theological sense, Christ has already secured us in him. But just because of the heaviness of the world, financial problems, you know, relationship problems, we, we can open up God's word. And have you ever done this? Have you ever like done a whole devotion? Maybe you had a devotional book and you read something and then you closed it up. And really five seconds later, you could not have told yourself what you just read. Now, is that because the power of God's word is not sufficient? Now it's because we, we are a people that are just kind of a wandering people. And then there's other times that we do hear Psalms 23, and we're going, man, that's going to get me not just through the rest of the hour, but the whole week. I can live off the whole week just on the promise of what God put there. This is the power of God's Word. But it's also the frailty of man. And so what does he say? He says, okay, you come back, and your delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, you know what's really going to bring true delight to you, and you meditate day and night. It doesn't mean that you have 16-hour quiet times. It means that you're constantly looking for the source of God's direction for your life. As you govern and lead your family, husbands, as we love our wives, wives as you love your Husbands, parents, did you love your children? Children, did you love your parents? He, he said, you go back to the strength and the truth of God's word. He said, this is going to bring ultimately delight to your life. That t- tells us basically that there's much information that's available in life. Not all that information is good. Some information will actually lead to, to what he mentioned there in verse 1, scoffing, doubting God. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, there's probably been a time that you can remember, maybe not specifically, but in general, that you went from walking to standing to sitting in, in, unbel- in something that was not true, something that was not God. Can you relate to that Christian? That even here you are a Christian, and yet there was something that caught your ear, and maybe it was uh, you know, what we talk about a whole bunch, this whole matter of forgiveness, and you're ready to forgive. And then somebody comes along, some well-meaning brother or sister, and says, well, if they have not apologized, I don't know that I would be, a, uh, you know, forgiving them. And you're going, you know, that's right. And didn't they? Didn't you already forgive them last year, and yet they've done it again three more times? And you go, well, that's right. And all of a sudden we go from walking to standing, listening, and we actually sit down and we begin to entertain that, embrace that. That's right. Heck, if I'm going to say I'm sorry again, she hasn't done one thing on her side. And all of a sudden we've embraced something that is not from God, it's not biblical, it's not the heart of Christ, and yet we've embraced it, and what we are doing, get ready for this, is scoffing, scoffing at the, the word of God. We've made a measure of rightness that is not concurrent with God's law. That's what he's talking about here. And that's when he, look at verse 3. He says, okay, for those that that meditate, again, not that you have hour-long quiet times, but that you just know the source of truth, and you come back, and you come running back to the cross, you come running back to Christ. He says, you're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, that word prosper doesn't mean that you get rich, and it's not a a philosophy of, you do this, and God's just going to bless your socks off. No, it means that you're going to prosper, that you're always going to have this steady foundation. You're going to have this anchor for your soul so that even when it seems like your world is falling apart, that you can say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet yeah, I will fear no evil. That's an anchor, guys. Because we'll go through valleys. And we'll go through the times where we have some shadows. And there's going to be times when there's some doubting, and yet we know, God, you are with me. your rod in you comfort me, your staff, you're right here with me. Psalms 1-3, you're going to be fruitful, you're going to be stable, you're going to be fulfilled. And the real thing that he's pointing out there is stability. In this very unstable world, he said, look, when you put yourself, when you trust Christ, when you put your hope in God and his provision, And you put your hope in his word, in the truth of his word. He said, you're going to be a stable person, even in this very unstable world. But now look what he contrasts with in verse 4. What's the first two words? Okay, again, I pray that you don't see this. Well, that's just so harsh of God. He's so harsh. He called somebody wicked. No, he's doing a painting of contrast. The man who's in Christ, the man who's not in Christ. He said, the wicked... Are not so, but like chaff, that the wind drives away. Do you know what chaff is? You could probably give us a, a Bruce, probably you could tell us a lot about that. You take the wheat, it's the outer shell of the wheat. It's, it's not what you want to consume. It's of no value. And so to separate the, the kernel, the, the, the good wheat, from the outside protective shell, and to get rid of that, you they would get, the in biblical times, they would get the oxen to run over it. I'm sure there's a different method today. (laughs) But they would get the oxygen to run over. They would kind of separate that. Then they would take that uh, pitchfork and they would kind of throw it up in the air and the wind would actually drive away that scaly outside covering that was of no good. And what would remain is the wheat that was useful. It's a picture of stability and a picture of instability. Not a picture of goodness and a picture of badness. Not a picture of These people have it all figured out, and they're morally just superior. He said, in this whole life, those who place their life in Christ, and the only hope, the only answer that God has given he said, even in the dry seasons, you're going to be like a tree that's firmly planted by the water, and you're going to be like an evergreen tree. That even when it gets really a drought, he said, because you're rooted, you're still going to have water, and you're still going to have life. He said, without Christ, man, you're just there. You're going to be blown with whatever direction the wind's going in. Folks, this is a picture of stability. And it's one of those things that as uh, we call out two men today to help shepherd this flock and help to to guide us along with our other three elders. That, that Guys, I, I want you to understand, this is weighty. There's going to be men and women that... We'll pick your ears sometime and go, hey, what, what do you think about this? And, and I promise you guys at those times, there's going to be a world philosophy that makes some sense, and there's going to be a kind of a current, you know, thought that goes in, in the world, and then there's going to be the truth of God's Word. And maybe some of those things will be concurrent, but there's going to be times that God's Word is going to throw in the face of the mindset of our culture. I don't place that weight on your shoulders it's something that, that, to, to, uh, to scare you. But this is weighty stuff. But I want you to know that you don't have to be called out as an elder to do that. If you're a husband, you've been called to pastor your family. If you have children, you've been called to pastor your children. If you're a wife, you've been called to, to help pastor and lead And there's going to be the current thought, and there's going to be kind of the current persuasion, and, hey, this is kind of what's in vogue, and then there's going to be the truth of God's Word that is timeless and eternal in nature. And that's the last section. He says, not only is this the application of of right now, but look what he says in verse 5 and 6, and then we're going to close. He said, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way the wicked will perish. What he says is, guys, <laughs> this has an eternal nature to it. The choice that we make in life. Not just, okay, do we read God's word or do we trust culture? No. Is Christ your foundation or are you trusting in self? He said it has an eternal nature. So, guys, not only is there a kind of a waiting, there's a sense of urgency that as you come and are called out as elders and to help shepherd the flock here, and help to give wisdom and comfort and encouragement, not only to the people that are here at CS, but also to this community. This is the only thing we have to offer. We only have Christ to offer. We don't have, well, you know, in all my years of teaching, here's what I've discovered. I mean, you're going to draw upon all those years of teaching. You're going to draw upon, well, in law school, I figured out, and there's some wisdom that you can have there. But I promise you, then in all the application of wisdom that you've acquired in your vocational life and just raising your own family and your own marriage and all that, if it's not centered in God's word, it's like chaff. kind of blows this way, but then tomorrow it blows another way. It's amazing. If you've been going to the doctor enough, I just don't go to the doctors because they can only tell you that you're sick. So it's one of those things I very okay, and maybe I just won't be sick if I don't go to the doctors. But I've heard enough from other doctors to say, okay, here's how we want to treat this particular ailment. And they'll say, this is the defined way. This is the way we're going to do it. And then four years later, they're going to know we've changed our mind about this. Now we're going to do it this exact opposite way. And it used to be, okay, you hit, let's say knee surgery. You stay off that knee for a week. And then they go, no, we want you on that week. You know, we're doing the operation at 2 o'clock. By 2.30, we want you walking on that knee. And they go back and forth. Okay, what is it? Okay, was the old not good enough? Did you find out that it wasn't really the, the, the wisdom that you thought it was? And if you've been going to the doctor long enough, you know that they kind of go back and forth with different things that are kind of in vogue for the season. This is what God is saying. He said, look, my word, my truth is always in vogue. You put your trust in Christ, my only answer. You put my trust, your trust, into the truth that I've given you. And he said, even in the driest storms, and the are the, the, the driest times, and, and the, the the weightiest storms of your life, you're going to be like a tree firmly planted, because your roots are going to go down to what you're rooted in, and that's why in the New Testament we see that this rootedness in Jesus Christ, this is our hope. So Andy and Brian, we are honored. To have you join uh, the other elders to help lead this church, but but I hope this morning that you see that this is not—we haven't picked you because of your wisdom, even though we hope that there is wisdom there. We haven't picked you because of your goodness, even though we would say in a culture that kind of looks at things that you're you're good men. Now you come to us as men who have trusted and put your firm faith in Jesus Christ. And you're leading your families in a way that you know that that's the only sufficient answer. And I think that's what the other elders saw in you. That, hey, hey here's two men that, that, that want to passionately follow Christ. That, that God can use to help shepherd and, and lead this family. Believers that we call CS. So we're honored today to, to have a, a calling out. A setting aside. We see that biblically. When they were ready to do a mission trip, they called them out. They kind of set them aside. Some people call that ordination. Other people call it different things. The Bible never prescribes a sense of ordination. It never prescribes, hey, here's the four steps of what you do. The Bible just says, hey, some men are going to be elders. Some are going to be deacons. Some are going to be missionaries. Some are going to be pastors. Some are going to be different things. And you just celebrate that God has a call upon their life and that men and women respond to such. And so at this time, I'm going to ask you to come down. One of our elders, Radley, is going to to pray over you. And But I really invite our entire body. I'm just going to ask you to come and, and, and really kneel right here. And, uh, guys, when I was ordained years ago, they called for all the ordained men to come up and to, to do that. And there was like 45 men there. And everybody else just sat there as 45 men individually came down. And I'm not saying that that was a, really a precious time, but it was really... Everybody was just sitting there for like an hour. <laughs> and, and so today, I'm, Bruce, I'm sorry. Will you come up and, and we just want to gather around these guys and, and, and kind of a, an age-old tradition of just the, 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 the called-out man to, to come, the elders that uh, are serving to, uh, uh, to pray over you and for you and to, uh, to love on you this morning. So, guys, if you just want to bow right there, guys, we'll come behind them. And, and Radley, if you would pray for us this morning,
1: Father, we are thankful for these men. We're thankful for the fact that you have called them. You have called them to be used by you. And Father, they help them to realize the gravity of this calling. Help them understand the great. The great ability, the great um, thing you do have for them at this time in their life. And Father, we pray that they will always seek you, Lord. And Father, for first and foremost, Father, they pray that they will lead their family well. We pray that they will be the pastor, the the father, the husband, to their wives and their to their wives and their children. Father, we we pray that they may, will always commit themselves to the Word of God. We pray that they will they will they will they will spend time in prayer. They will spend time in reading Your Word. They will spend time in knowing You personal, personally, and intimately. Father, Father, realize that. As they, as they go on this journey, Lord, it will be, there will be challenges, there will be difficulties, there will be failures. But Father, when they do fail, they will swiftly confess their sins and they will rise again and walk in the newness of life, in your life. So Father, we pray also as they seek to lead this congregation, Lord like Paul as he charges Timothy for them to, for these men to preach the word to encourage individuals to rebuke individuals Father we pray that these men will not allow others to preach a gospel that is separate, that is different from i have from being crucified with Christ. That Christ was crucified. that That he died and he rose on the third day. But Father, they will always proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. Father, we thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for these men. Father, we ask that you might put an edge of protection around them and their family, their wives, their children. Father, we pray... That we know or we know that the devil will come seeking to devour them. But Father we pray even when they, they fail Lord. Even when they give in. Father they will con- come and confess their sins to you. And Father we will get back into right relationship with you. We are thankful for them Lord. And Father we pray as a congregation. We will pray for them. We will encourage them. We will lift them up. We will be there for them. And Father, may we always may we always keep them in our prayers. We thankful for we thankful for them, Lord. We thankful for Brian and Andy. And Father, may you use them for your honour, for your glory. It is in Christ's name that we do pray.